0: Well, thank you. Thank you, Carl, and uh, thank you, Jeremy, and worship team. I, uh, I love to be together with the body of Christ and worship the Lord. Uh, song is one of those ways we express it, but uh, being together is a part of that, and to be able to simply delight in being together in the presence of the Lord is such a, a, a wonderful thing. Well, I, I get the privilege of uh, being able to do the final message on this 10 things uh, small series with a lot packed in, um, and I get to do the ultimate pack job, um, so you can call me the PAC man, I guess. Um, in engaging with and working with these 10 things, which uh, they were listed in the context of something that uh, pastoral team here and others worked on, 10 things every new Christian should know. Uh, Ryan and Marshall already did an amazing job kicking off the series. Uh, As soon as Carl invited me uh, to consider being a part of this, I knew I would enjoy doing it. I just looked through the list. I'm like, this is great. I don't care what they pick. What's left is going to be good. Um, But I did just have a small correction in the title uh, for the article, not the 10 things, but 10 things, because I was stirred in this that maybe it shouldn't just be 10 things every Christian, every new Christian should know. Because as I reviewed it, I realized they are very basic, they're foundational truths, but I also realized, especially in this pandemic, that we, we might know something, know something about something, but that doesn't mean we always practice it. And partly in terms in that is just how we treat one another uh, in the midst of the reality of what we're walking through. And so I thought maybe a little tweak on the title could be 10 things every Christian should know and practice. Uh, It's one thing to know, it's another thing to do, isn't it? And becomes one of our challenge in that context is we look at that and we're like, well, I know a lot of things. And one of the challenges I look at in the church in the West is we probably know too much and don't practice enough. Now that's another sermon, so we're not going there. So two weeks ago, Ryan wove together uh, two of these, three, these ten things, and then I believe he did a short video clip for the third one. Uh, he did uh, this focus on Jesus, his cross, his resurrection, and his kingdom, God caring about your whole life, not just your spiritual life, and loving other Christians who go to different churches, or no church at all, and who aren't like you. That sense of knowing and loving God, that sense of knowing God's love in all the aspects of our life, And loving other Christians, no matter where they're from, where they come from, or how they worship. And in truth, that's one of the things that often devises is what we prefer for worship. And then we quickly move it to, well, this is the right way to do it. This is the way we do it. Uh, Again, that's another sermon. We're not going there. But in the context of of that particular uh, message and some of the stuff that was there Reminded me of one of Jesus' last commands in John 13. There at the Last Supper together, Jesus has just washed the disciples' feet, and he said, John 13, 34 and 35 from the Amplified Bible, he said, I'm giving you a new commandment, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. So you too are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love If if you have love and unselfish concern for one another, that's how they will know. They'll see the love of God in the way we interact with each other. And that invitation in that space, from Ryan's message, but even broader in that context, is allowing ourselves to experience God's love and sharing that love with others. The following week, uh, again, this is just a quick review. Marshall talked about uh, you know, the one thing the Bible emphasizes more than us loving God and people is that God loves us. It starts there, and we have to encounter that, receive that, walk into that. Again, also that your motivation for and the purpose of learning, serving, worshiping, giving, reaching, reading, praying, etc., is to grow relationally, more in love with God and with people. And to remember, not only are you saved by grace, but you grow by grace, too. You experience and encounter God's grace and then you grow into that, into that place. I, I, I heard at one point, and I still like this, this concept, there's this flow of grace. Grace is almost like the, the, the grease or the lubricant that keeps things going. And somebody else said at one time, the currency of heaven or the currency of the kingdom is grace. It's what we exchange and give back and forth that allows this love thing to flow. It's, it's as if it's the exchange system, the currency system that we interact with each other around, having grace, walking in grace. So before we flow into the, today's last four of the ten things, let's just ask Holy Spirit to invite us and guide us into a space of revelation. Lord, today, uh, numerous times we've already prayed, but we just acknowledge through your word, through these words, and through our hearing, would you direct us by your spirit today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start this particular message with two passages that kind of create the context or the backdrop. The first is the great commandment uh, from Matthew 22, 35 through 40, again from the Amplified Version. One of them, a lawyer, an expert in Mosaic law, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself, that is, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. The whole law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commandments. We're familiar with this. This is not something new to Most of us, if not all of us, the great commandment. This place of loving God with all of our being, with everything that we have. And again, I think this is a place of invitation. We could say, well, every new Christian should know this. I'm saying every follower of Jesus should know it, grow in it, and be going deeper and deeper all the time on this journey of understanding what loving God looks like. I love God. I surrender all to him. I receive his love And I'm able to extend it to other people. Loving others, it says in here, uh, unselfishly seek the best or higher good for others. And then loving yourself, to really love somebody else, you've got to come to grips with who you are, who God's created you to be. Each one of us, uniquely gifted, uniquely crafted, and all of us in that place when the Father, when Abba looks down, I love that one and I love that one, and I love that one. In fact, I would go through the whole group and say I love all of them. And then he goes to the whatever billion we are at now with in, the, in the world, and it's like, I love that one, and I love that one. Looking at that at the core is who does God say you are? How does God see you? Now, who do you want to be, or who do you think you are, but who does he say you are? Because that becomes, again, the flow of grace which allows you to say, I'm not perfect, but there's a God who loves me for who I am and who I'm called to be out of that personhood. So, the greatest commandment is foundational. Foundational to the gospel message, but there's another passage that is equally important. We call it the Great Commission. The Great Commission, again, we're familiar with it from Matthew 28, 18 through 20 again reading from the amplified bible jesus came up and said to them all authority all power of absolute rule in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all the nations help the people to learn of me believe in me and obey my words baptizing in the name of the father and the son and the holy holy spirit teaching them to observe everything that i have commanded you and lo i am with you always remaining with you perpetually regardless of circumstances, on every occasion, even to the end of the age. Jesus begins this with a declaration of the authority that has been given to him, and now what he's releasing to the people who are his followers. There was a set of those at that point in place who were that, in that context. We join in that great throng. We're invited into that space, that space to be walking with and knowing that God has given us an authority. The authority was to go and make disciples of all nations, making disciples, helping the people to learn of Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to obey Jesus' words, and baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe, or we could say also obey, everything that Jesus commanded his disciples. And they were to do this remembering that he was always with them no matter what the circumstance. He was going to be with them in every situation on every occasion. So this call to disciple making is so deeply woven into Jesus' call to his disciples to be committed to making or encouraging other Jesus followers. So how do we get these two great instructions, the great commission and the great commandment together? Because they need to synchronize, they need to be connected, right? And that leads us now into the first of today's top ten things every Christian should know and practice. Don't trample all over the great commandment trying to obey the great commission. Did you like that one? That was one of my favorites when I saw it, and then they didn't pick it, so I got it. Um, But a part of this is because it also represents my own journey. The great commandment is to love people and trying to, to do this thing of the Great Commission, I've watched people, and I, I worked 20 years at, as, at a mission agency and training people for mission and training people for evangelism, and I believe in these things, but at times we get so focused on trying to make it happen that we stop loving people. In fact, as, an, as in our nation, as a people, we're seen as evangelicals, as people who are angry, against people, against things. And as a result, people haven't seen the love of God flowing through us. That breaks my heart. And I wonder, again, this message isn't the place we're going to unpack this, but I wonder in some ways whether that's a place for us to stop in 2021 and say, God, where have we missed your love, your great commandment in our attempt to be right? To make other people know what's right and try to make them be right. Now don't get me wrong, the bishop's not saying he doesn't believe in evangelism. I think it has to do with the way in which we approach and live it out. There's a world out there longing for this love and we may be the only or one of a few that they know who truly know the love of God. How might we express that in our actions, in our words, in our kindness? It seems that indeed to accomplish the Great Commission there needs to be a foundational posture in our life and it's the posture of love. Love for God rooted in knowledge of knowing and experiencing God's great love and grace in our lives, loving others which can only come through experiencing God's great love and grace for us. I was uh, recently out in Kansas City for a, uh, what I would call a, a church multiplying conference for a couple of days centering around this whole thing. And one phrase they used a lot was this whole thing of focusing less on volunteers and more on calling people as unique masterpieces. You see, every one of you is a unique masterpiece. Gifted, called, and able to do exploits in the best sense of that word for the kingdom. But often there's not a place or space or a call to engage that in, 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 in the context of what we call church. And I thought of it from Ephesians uh, 2, 8 to 10 from the Amplified Version. I don't have it up there, but just listen. It's a little, different, a little different cadence, but it simply says, for it is by grace that God's remarkable compassion and favor, that which is drawing you to Christ, that you have been saved, actually delivered from judgment and given eternal life. It happens through faith. And this salvation is not of yourselves, not through your own effort, but it is undeserved, gracious, an undeserved, gracious gift of God. Not as a result of your works, nor your attempts to keep the law, so that no one will be able to boast or take credit in any way for their salvation. For we are his workmanship, his own masterwork, his unique masterpiece, I might add, a work of art created in Christ Jesus, reborn from above, spiritually transformed, renewed, ready to be used for good works, which God prepared for us beforehand. Taking paths which he set so that we would walk in them, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us. And that leads us into that important revelation. If we try to do the Great Commission without grasping the depth of the great commandment, and that, that commandment over, for loving other people, we try to get people to convert to Christianity without even being in relationship with them or knowing them. Now, for the sake of time, I'm not going to push this one out too far, but I'm just simply going to say in that context, I remember both growing up as a young person and there was all kinds of you know, seminars and things we were going to about evangelism. I went into the YES program. I remember specifically being in Scotland impassioned to try to impact the lives of young people. And we were doing an an outreach uh, on the street beside a a large high school, 800 people in that high school, and they said there was two known believers. This is in 1982. Two known believers in that entire high school, a post-Christian Europe already at that point. And we would do our little skits and whatever, and people were throwing little pebbles and little jelly beans, so that's the closest I came to getting stoned, you know, with uh, little pebbles and stones and jelly beans. But I met this one guy named Ollie, reached out to him and, and coaxed him to come to the, to the coffee house at the church that evening. He came with all his buddies. He was a mean dude. I sat and debated with him about who God was, pled with him. He didn't move an inch. An hour I was there talking with him. And I remember going back into the kitchen afterwards and just bawling my head off. I was trying to make him do something that I couldn't make him do. It had to be a work of the Spirit, but in truth, he needed to be loved more than coaxed and convinced to do what I was doing. Again, we could talk on this one a whole lot more. I'll just simply say again from that particular statement, don't trample all over the great commandment trying to obey the great commission. New and enthusiastic Christians often do this and instead lead people, instead the task should be leading to People to Jesus by loving people to Jesus and if you if they ask you why you live this way respond humbly and simply about what's happening in your life with Jesus it's not information folks it's actually witness testimony of what it is that God has been doing in your life not 40 years ago not four years ago but last week or today That is enough on that one. We'll continue on to uh, the second of the top ten things every Christian should know and practice. And that is love your neighbors, your literal neighbors, the ones you have, not the ones you wish you had. Now, if I was in the UK, I'd say that's just a little cheeky in the sense of what's there. A little bit of a twist there of kind of playing on something there, but the reality is a lot of us don't really like our neighbors, let alone love them. let alone care for them, because they may or may not be someone in that context who we relate with naturally. We're called to love our neighbors because they're the ones beside us. They're the ones around us. They're the ones that are looking for, maybe they don't know it, for someone who actually responds in the way that Jesus would respond. We're busy. We're all busy. I'll join you on that one. You can just ask my wife. I'm busy. But in that context, where the spaces and places where God is opening up doors for us, either in the context of our neighborhood or in the context of our workplace. A number of years ago, by the Spirit of God only, something happened where, as a pastor pursuing connection to the community, God opened up an, a, a, an opportunity of connection with a dear brother A business owner in the county named Don Hoover, some of you may know him, Don and I became close friends, founded a small movement, a network of what we call Business Community Network, and at its core, the simple tagline is God drawing people into relationship through the workplace. It's that simple, because every one of us builds relationship in the workplace, right? Do we try to evangelize them, or do we try to connect with them relationally and love them and and become a part of their lives? I wasn't taught that way. I was taught hit and run when I was young. There is somebody who needs Jesus. Go in, bop them with the word of God a couple of times really hard and then run as fast as you can because you might get polluted by them. (laughs) Don't laugh. You know it's true. But how does that work? As Dr. Phil used to say, so how's that working for you? And again, again, I was only supposed to talk about these things briefly, so I get into these things. i like, I want to preach a whole bunch about it, but somebody else can preach down the road about that one more. But a recognition, whether in your neighborhood or in your place of work or in the place where you're learning or studying or wherever it is, there are people who are hungry for the love of God, whether they know it or not, and you happen to be their neighbor in the next cubicle, whatever it might be. And you don't have to evangelize them. You're only called to love them and see what God does with it. Number three, top ten things for every Christian that every Christian should know and practice. It's getting more, it's hitting more and more close to home, isn't it? Like it's not for the new Christians anymore, is it? It's for us to continue to grow into. Pray with your Bible open. A recognition that this Bible right here And uh, I love the Word of God, but I think many times we've misused the Word of God. We've misused it as a hammer, as a defense, kind of keep them away. They used to call us in YWAM when I was with the Yes program, they called us, you got to get the accent there, Bible boshers. Bible Bashers. You come around, the YWAMers, the YWAMers, they have huge Bibles. (laughs) They could knock you out with their Bibles. I'm not... Say anything against y I'm just saying in that context, that space of the, of the imagery that's there. But the truth is, I just convicted this past week and was interacting around uh, this book that I read, I don't know how many times, The Pursuit of God by A.W. Tozer. And just listen to me what Tozer says, again, about the Bible. And maybe a, a, an important thing in this context to recognize is that as we read the Word of God, we're to expect, god to speak to us but it's god by his spirit that's speaking to us in that context and wrote tozer writes this the why of natural law is the loving voice of god imminent in his creation and this word of god which brought all worlds into being this word of god that brought all worlds into being cannot be understood to mean the bible for it is not a written or printed word at all but the expression of the will of god the will of God is, is the breath of God filling the world with living potentiality. The voice of God is the most powerful force in nature, indeed the only force in nature for all energy is here only because of the power-filled word is being spoken, capital W, word. The Bible is the written word of God, and because it is written, it is, con- it is confined and limited by the men- necessities of ink and paper and leather. The voice of God, however, is alive and free as the sovereign God is free. The words that I speak to unto you, they are spirit and they are life, John six sixty three says. The life is in the speaking word. God's, word. God's words in the Bible can have power only because it corresponds to God's word in the universe. It is the present voice which makes the written word all the more powerful. The present voice of God speaking through the word. Otherwise, it would lie locked in slumber without, within the covers of the, of the book. And I say that because my friend once said, you know what this is? It's a dead cow wrapped around a dead tree with some dead octopus ink on it. And without the Spirit of God, it's only words. Now, you know how I know that? Because I had a professor at Millersville who actually used this as a text, and he was an atheist. He didn't believe any of those words in there were from God, other than he liked the poetry. It's the Spirit of God. Flowing through us and flowing through the word that calls us to life, to light, and to love, to live graciously. Expect God to speak to you through the word. And when you're praying for people, you know, we've got, uh, my phone's there, but you've got your phone or your Bible and you're praying. There's things that come back that God brings that often are a part of what he wants to minister in that situation. Pray with your Bible open too when you're alone with God or when you're with others and see how God uses it. And I'm almost done, Carl. Mitch said he would shut me off when it got to 11.15. I have a minute yet. He did did actually say something like that. He just didn't tell me when. Um, (laughs) Lastly is find a mentor. And I'm going to make a confession here. One of my biggest laments as a pastor is that far too people, far few people Far too few people, I can even talk English yet, far too few people were willing to mentor a younger disciple of Jesus. There's something about in this county, and maybe it's broader than here, but this inferiority complex, uh, complex, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about God. So I'm going to start the conversation, and then when I get panicked, I'm going to drag them to the pastor and get the pastor to save them. It happened. Um, Don't laugh. And I don't say this to fault anyone. I'm just saying, you know what, church? It's time to grow up. Because in the places and the spaces where we say, I feel lacking. I don't have enough time. I can't do it. I have an excuse. You know what? It's time to start now. You're never too old to learn more about God and to go deeper with God. And one of the best ways to do it is to walk with someone else who's hungry for it. It'll expose the errors of your life that still are lacking. And you want to, you know what, that's okay. That's not a problem. That's an opportunity. Now, Mitch is really going to shut me off here soon. Um, so I'm going to lay out a challenge before I close in prayer. And that is young persons, whatever your age is that you consider yourself young. I'm not 60 yet, and I still feel young, and I still think I'm young. I'm not. Um. But young person, whoever you are, the challenge is to say, I want to grow and I want to find someone who will walk with me. And for those of us who are older, or others consider older, a lot of us, if someone comes up to you and asks for you to walk with them, don't you dare say no. Take the challenge and grow While you walk with someone, we all do. I'm still growing walking with my children and my grandchildren. We're not professional Christians. We're Jesus followers who are being transformed again and again at deeper levels. And we need each other. I didn't expect to give you a spanking and that wasn't meant to be that. It was meant to be an encouragement because every one of you has the treasure of Christ in you that is pregnant and ready to birth more things of God. But too, too many of us have either believed excuses or lies or have not accepted the challenge that God wants to place in us to call us out to something new, myself included. I'm on the adventure with you. I'm preaching to myself. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for the treasure we have in you. For your love that goes so much deeper than we can even imagine. For the mystery of what it means to walk with God. It's not confined in all our, well, I figured this out and I've got this and this is what the Bible says and whatever. It's about humility and surrender and allowing you to continue to shape so that what comes out when we're squeezed is your love and your grace to other people especially our neighbors. And so I ask, Lord, for a fresh courage, a fresh anointing, a fresh flow of your spirit over this community we call Mount Joy Mennonite Church. May it grow, may it prosper, may it increase individually and corporately and in the community for your glory, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.